0: Hello, and welcome to Differential Discussions. I'm Melissa. And I'm Dave. And today, we're back with another one of our guests, Sarah Battello, who's going to tell us about being an embryologist. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited.
0: <laughs> we're excited, too, in part because this is such a cool profession that Dave and I didn't even know about until Sarah went into it. And then we were like, oh, how cool. <laughs> so, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so I am an MLS graduate. I graduated in 2020. um, And I did my clinicals at Women and Infants Hospital, where I later got a job there. And I worked in the blood bank primarily for about a year. Um, I was trained in the hematology and chemistry department as well. um, And over that year was able to learn a bunch of things. But then I ended up moving over to the embryology lab and then started the master's program at Eastern Virginia Medical School doing reproductive clinical science, which kind of ties into the embryology thing. So, all yeah, this in is together. really
2: fascinating. I, uh, <laughs> we invited Sarah to uh, speak to a freshman once. And, um, you know, I, most of the time when we have professional people come in and they give their presentations, it's not that I'm not interested, but like I, I get it, I know it. The whole time I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I was basically eight years old again, like just um kind of having a lot of fun uh learning something new. So
0: I, I think Dave and I were the most excited people in the room during that. And we asked more questions than the kids did, but it's all good. Um, yeah.
2: it's definitely
1: interesting. There's so many procedures that are involved. It's not as automated as most like MLS laboratories are. Or at least the one that I did come from. Like I felt like especially chemistry, like you're just basically putting things on a machine for most of the time that you're in chemistry. Um, but embryology, nearly nothing is automated. So everything is a hands-on experience, which I really enjoy about embryology. It's one of like the main differences between that and
0: MLS. So so let's start. You did your uh, you actually once you finished your internship, you started working at a clinical lab in hematology and chemistry, you said?
1: So I was uh, primarily in blood bank, but I did both, like all three. I did chemistry, hematology.
0: Did you work day shift, evening shift? I
1: day shift. And then I would sometimes pick up evening shift if they needed me, um, but I was mostly
0: day shift. And how long did you do that for?
1: I was there for about a year uh, before I switched over to the embryology lab.
0: And how did you get interested in being in embryology? Where did that come from?
1: So I was looking into different avenues of the lab. That's one thing that is also another really cool thing about like MLS in general is that you can kind of go in so many different directions. Like there's kind of all of us everywhere (laughs) sprinkled about. Um, So I was looking into different avenues that I could use my degree and embryology was something that popped up. I kind of actually relied a lot on YouTube and like day in the life of, and I was like, wow, this seems really cool. Like I'm just going to try it. So I ended up calling the lab and I scheduled a tour And they let me shadow them for a day. And I was like, yes, okay, this is what I want to (laughs) do. So they happened to have an opening. The stars kind of aligned on this one. And they had an opening like a month later. And I took it and I got it. And now we're here.
2: (laughs) It's funny too on the timing. Like um, Melissa, I don't know about you, but like after a year working in the lab, isn't that when you start to get like an itch? Like you're starting to feel comfortable with the procedures that you're on and you're kind of starting to look for more maybe
0: more it took me with. six months before I got the itch but yes <laughs> of course, I agree of course it <laughs> no it, it's totally I think I've I have mentored a lot of students when they were doing their internship at the hospital that I, I worked at and a lot of them we ended up hiring and yes it's about a year that most people get the itch to start <laughs> looking at something new so That's, that's, that's good though, that you, you actually like really discovered what else there is and the day in the life's on YouTube. That's a really good idea.
1: Oh yeah. It's great. And you can find them for almost everything. Cause I was also looking into potentially like genetic counseling. So I was looking at day in the life of that, like Mm. pretty much you can find it for almost every profession, which is really cool and useful for people trying to figure out what they might want to do in the future. So it's definitely helpful. It helped me a lot.
2: That's awesome. Obviously you're doing this at, uh, in uh, Rhode Island, right? Um, How many laboratories have an embryology lab? Like, you you know.
1: Most of them are actually private practice or like they hmm. are like embryology or like IVF centers. So I know um, Boston IVF is a huge um, competitor of ours. They do um, mostly, they're building a lab in Providence actually, but they have a lab primarily in Boston And they're kind of their own separate entity. So, like, we are part of Women and Infants Hospital Mm. under the Care New England umbrella. But Boston IVF is their whole, like, they're their own unit. Mm. Um, So I don't know of all the hospital ones that are kind of connected. I know Lifespan doesn't have one. Mm. um, So we're kind of our own little niche section in, like, this part of the country, like, (laughs) this part of the state anyway.
0: Um, I would imagine there's not a lot of... those Those kinds of
2: labs that was my intuition too yeah because geez yeah (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. it's kind of hard to find them there's a few in Boston like I'm pretty sure uh Brigham and Women's has one I'm pretty sure Mass General also has an IVF department um I'm just not super familiar with them um haven't looked up into them too much
2: (laughs) that's good yeah
1: that's good it's probably a good thing
0: (laughs) that
2: means Sarah likes it over there
0: yeah (laughs) I wonder (laughs) wonder how many places offer IVF, but then like they'll do like some of the therapies with you, but like places like Boston IVF do all the testing and all of the background stuff, but the hospital offers you the actual service. Is that how IVF works or do you have to go to somewhere where there's IVF? Do you know that?
1: I'm not quite sure. I know that like, so for us, like we, we don't do any diagnostic testing in my building. So all of their like endocrine testing, betas for HCG, um, all of the sperm parameters, all of that stuff, all of the actual diagnoses come from the hospital lab. So we actually have nothing to do with it. But I would think that for like other entities like that are their own thing, they might actually do their own endocrine testing so that they can do everything in-house. Um, and I do know that some laboratories actually have like, so we do... Uh, pre-implantation genetic testing, where we biopsy the embryos once they reach a certain point. And some of these laboratories will actually have like their genetics lab in-house. So they can just like take the biopsy, run it downstairs, then they can do their thing. We don't have that. um, But some, so some places are like, you know, you get there, you get to do everything. And then other places, we kind of have the balance with the hospital where they're doing some stuff and we're doing the other stuff. Um, It just depends where you go,
0: really. All right, so you started to get into it, but tell us, what do you do?
1: <laughs> so we have a, a wide range of responsibilities, um, but the easiest way for me to describe it would be to kind of start, just kind of go through like a rudimentary cycle of how it would work. Um, so typically that starts with the egg retrieval and sperm processing aspect of the day, um, and that the doctor actually performs the egg retrieval, and they go into the ovary, Um, and collect the follicular fluid and us in the lab kind of behind the scenes we are actually looking through that fluid to find the eggs Um, and we get kind of a like a basic count ahead of time of how many we're expecting based on the amount of follicles that they've been looking at so the patient has been with us for a couple of weeks by this point Um, so we get a kind of a base count and then um, we at the same time somebody else is doing sperm processing And the goal of that, whether the sample is frozen or fresh, is to basically isolate as many modal morphologically normal looking sperm that you can possibly get in the sample. Um, So of course, some are better than others, um, but we're looking for sperm that are moving well, great forward progression. They have only one head and one tail (laughs) because we do see that quite often. Um, And we use a density gradient to try and kind of like separate. So all the good sperm goes to the bottom and then all the kind of bad sperm, if you will, gets trapped at the top. Um, And then that kind of segues into the insemination process, which also occurs on the same day as all those other procedures. (laughs) So it's kind of a busy day uh, for the gametes on that day. (laughs) Um, So for conventional IVF, we just basically put the eggs and sperm together in a drop and Let them be in the incubator, see what they do. Um, But for intracytoplasmic sperm injection or ICSI, it's a little bit more complicated. Um, So when the eggs actually get retrieved, they have this like cumulus mass. It's kind of like this goopy mass of cells. It's very sticky that kind of gets like stuck to everything else that's in the trap. So any sort of epithelial cells that come through or sometimes blood clots, things like that. So when we originally do the retrieval, we actually cut some of that cumulus away to try and kind of save the eggs from any debris that's floating about. Um, But then at the time of ICSI, we'll use hyaluronic acid to strip away the rest of the cumulus cells. um, And that way we can see the maturity of the egg uh, that we're looking at because only mature eggs actually have the potential to fertilize. um, So we only inject those eggs. Um, So once that happens, we use this really big microscope contraption that has micromanipulators on the top. (laughs) This is
2: the part I'm excited about.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. I'm actually doing it now, which is really exciting because back when I did the original presentation, I wasn't doing it yet. So I actually did a couple today. It was like really exciting. (laughs) Um, So one side of the apparatus is a holder and the other side is an injector pipette. And it's basically like a little needle guy. And you go in, you kind of karate chop the sperm to make them stop moving. <laughs> you really kind <can't> of do. <laughs> and um, you get them into the pipette and then you inject them directly into the egg. Um, and then those end up eventually going back into the incubator and chilling out till the following morning. Um, and that's when kind of embryo grading starts to come into play. So I am going to share my screen because I have... um a PowerPoint here that I can show you.
0: So um,
1: cool. Yeah, so here's a bunch of embryos. <laughs> so on the first day, day one, that one cell right over here, um, that is a fertilized embryo. So that's what we're looking for about 18 hours post So what we are looking at here is um, these two little circles. Uh-oh.
2: Yeah. I'm curious.
1: I've got to pop up. Um, So the two circles here are pronuclei. So...
2: Getting some connection issues. Oh, there we go. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it looked like an internet, like a hiccup or something.
1: Yeah, I was, like, trying not to be weird, and then I was weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, weird. Welcome Just to our lives. Issues, that's all. We're always weird.
2: <laughs> right, well, that makes
1: me feel better. <laughs> it's kind of hard not to be, like, weird and an embryologist, I feel like. Like, we're dealing with, like, sperm and eggs all day. Like, you can't not be weird. <laughs> it's kind of like a job requirement, so... um. But yeah, so embryos again, back to this lovely picture. Um, So that first guy on the top left with the two circles there, those are pronuclei. So that's what we're looking for in a normally fertilized embryo. So we're looking for those two. Sometimes you'll see one, sometimes you'll see none, sometimes you'll see three. Um, The three usually means that it's not a viable embryo. It's aneuploid. There's three sets of DNA there. Definitely not good Um, A 1 p.m. could be just because we missed the window of fertilization. Um, It happens more frequently in the conventional IVF because we don't have a set time of when the egg was actually fertilized. We don't have, we don't know. It was left over there overnight. Um, So it could have been just that we missed that window, but it is fertilized. Um, Same deal potentially with the 0 PNs If it did come from an IVF, conventional situation, uh, we do save them um, just to make sure that if they do divide, like it might have been just because they were delayed in fertilization. Um, so if we look at the bottom left picture, because I, at my laboratory, we actually don't grade on day two. Um, that is the top right. That is what they would look like on day two between two to four cells. Um, these embryos are really great looking. They have no fragmentation. That's where really, really what we're looking at. Um, we're looking at fragmentation, which the best way for me to describe it, since I don't really have a good picture of fragmentation, um, is when you were to like break a cookie in half, like a nice, good looking chocolate chip cookie and all those crumbs kind of fall. Um, those crumbs are what we could consider fragments. So they're obviously not a good thing. Obviously the more crumbs you have, the less cookie you have. (laughs) So less cellular, um, less cellular material. So not what we're looking for. Um, And we also look at the symmetry. So we want the cells to be relatively the same size. Um, If it's an odd number of cells, we're of course gonna expect some sort of symmetry issue because there's one that's gonna be dividing soon, hopefully. Um, But we actually look at them on day three instead. Um, So that you can see in the bottom left, we're really looking for between six and eight cells. And we're again, still looking for that same fragmentation and symmetry grade. Um, But we also look at um, whether or not they're compacting because we want the cells to be communicating. We want them to be talking to each other, giving each other information. Um, So we're looking for that as well on day three. Um, And then- Do
2: do you mean that's, is that a process of the cells being like smaller than or
1: Mostly just like kind of morphing together. They sort of have like, instead of being like whole circles, they kind of start to like become flat up against each other. Um, because that's kind of segues into what they look like on day four. Yeah. So day four is a really hard day to grade, which is why most clinics don't grade on day four, um, because they become what's called a morula. And it's basically looks like, in my opinion, a chewed up piece of gum, um, because it's literally <laughs> all the cells just kind of like crunch together, because they're trying to form what we have here on the bottom right of this slide, which is um, a blastocyst. So. I always kind of laugh because uh, Professor Noor folks, you know, a blast is a blast is a blast, but I have proved her wrong <laughs> because <laughs> this is not a blast. <laughs> um, it's a blast assist and that's what we're looking for. So these blasts right here are really, really nice looking. Um, and we grade them based off of a few different things. So we're grading them based off of that outer portion, which has all these like cobblestone looking cells. That's called the trafectoderm. And that's what actually becomes the placenta of the pregnancy if it does implant into the uterus, which is really cool.
2: That's so fascinating. Um,
1: (laughs) And then that clump of cells in the left-hand corner of that cell, um, that is the inner cell mass. And that's what actually becomes the fetus. So that's also really cool. So we grade both of those things. And then we also grade them based off of expansion. So I would say that this cell right here, um, the first blast that we're looking at, is probably between a three and a four. Um, The outer membrane is still a little bit thick, um, but the one on the bottom right is hatching. So it's actually coming out of that zona and that becomes a five. And then once it's completely out of its zona, it becomes a six. Um, And then at that point um, on day five, we start assessing them for freezing, um, biopsy or transfers. So those are more procedures that we have to learn. Um, the transfer process is probably my favorite because um, we get a lot of patient contact at that point. Um, and we find the best one to transfer and the doctor will place like a mock catheter where it has an outer sheath. So they use ultrasound guidance to actually see where the catheter is in the uterus. And once they find the sweet spot, that's not too far up or too far um, too close to the cervix, we will actually load the embryo into the catheter and guide it through the sheath that they already have in the patient. And then the doctor will pull the, like, push the plunger once um, they know that they're in the right spot. Um, and then, other than that, it's just freezing. Um, we kind of take the embryo through a couple of different solutions before plunging them into liquid nitrogen. Um, and biopsy is another process that we do around this time where we're taking cells out of that trafectoderm, like, uh, cobblestone area where we take them and then we send them off to a lab to get tested. So that's kind of like day in the life <laughs> a little bit, just a little taste of like all the different things that we're kind of responsible for doing. Um, there are definitely some days where we have one of every procedure lined up for us, but uh, typically we don't have to do every single thing that we're doing that I kind of mentioned. We don't usually have to do every single procedure, but <laughs> sometimes sometimes.
2: The biopsy and the testing, um, is, is that where we you might discover like certain genetic disorders or things like that? Uh, I'm... yeah,
1: absolutely. So there's like a couple of different reasons that people would do it. Um, our, um, older patients, um, are more susceptible to having aneuploidy, um, like we all like in MLS, we learned about the genetic factors of, you know, being more susceptible to having a child with down syndrome. Yep. Um, so We primarily do it for those patients to kind of see like anything that's going on with the embryos, but we can also do it for patients that either are affected by some sort of illness like genetic disease, um, or we can do it if they have a child that already has it. Um, Or we also can do it if they're having like multiple miscarriages in a row like there might be a reason um triploidy is actually a really common reason for multiple miscarriages Mm -hmm. um so being able to actually do the pgt testing is really really great because we can see okay like which ones are euploid which ones are good to transfer which ones are affected not affected um Mm -hmm. and then some people will actually do it just for uh sex selection too, um family balancing something like that it's not as common as for the illness looking for genetic conditions but um it can be done as well.
2: I I didn't know that humans hatched. So that's um,
1: <laughs> Yeah, we actually hatch. So it is kind of funny.
0: <laughs> wow, so that's a lot of of jargon and sophisticated techniques that <laughs>
2: it really is like it's funny because like I'm following along but like I still am struggling like I, Melissa we're both kind of I don't know I don't want to say clueless but
0: Sarah is teaching the teachers
2: she sure is
0: <laughs> that feels so weird I think,
2: that's fun, I think that's the most fun about it right is yeah. you know it's uh that's
0: why I had a huge yeah. grin the whole time you were talking Sarah it wasn't I wasn't laughing at something else I was smiling because I was like oh look at her go that's awesome. <laughs>
1: it's definitely an interesting field. Cause I feel like there's always so much to learn too. Like I'm still in the process. So I've been there for about two years now and I'm still learning stuff. So like another procedure I didn't even talk about was egg freezing and thawing. So we actually will do fertility preservation for either like a cancer patient, or mm-hmm. we will also do it for somebody who is transitioning, uh, gender affirming surgery. Um, So we'll do it for multiple reasons, but that's another procedure that you have to learn to be able to thaw the eggs or be able to freeze them, um, which is nearly the same as doing embryos, but there's no structures in them to really look at. So they kind of, I think we call it like ghost mode (laughs) because they'll float and then you can't find them because they're like, so then you have to wait till they like sink and you're like, oh. Okay, we <laughs> they're not gone forever. <laughs> like it's a little stressful, you kind of start sweating a little bit and then they come back. You're like, okay, okay, you're here.
2: <laughs> I think good. the other fascinating part too is like uh when I think of patient um and, te- and technologist kind of interaction or um how direct the link being, blood bank comes to mind, right? And then you know, occasionally we'll do like phlebotomy, right, where we're kind of and they, with the patient and, and Melissa and I, maybe from time to time, someone drops something off at the lab and you have a little bit, but you get like time with the patients, right? Like that's. Oh yeah.
1: We get tons of time with the patient. And that's one thing that I really, really enjoy about embryology is that, you know, we're seeing them at retrieval because we go in for every OR procedure, we have to do a timeout and make sure we're doing the right person and we're going to use the right dishes and all that good stuff, you know, right person, right embryos is really important. (laughs) Um, So we always make sure double check. Um, And then we also go and talk with the male partner uh, to verify it's his sperm sample, all that good stuff. So we talk to them on that day and we are the ones to call them every day with their update. So on day one, when they're calling them with the fertilization results on day three, we give them their transfer time. We're involved in the transfer um, and we also give them their results for freezing and their um, how many they had biopsy. The doctor will take over with the biopsy results, but once they have their initial results from the doctor, then we're able to release them to the patient. If they end up being like, oh, I changed my mind. I actually want to know what the sexes of the embryos were. We can then go and tell them about it. Um, and sometimes they will ask us about grading. They'll ask us different questions, like how different things work. So it is like really cool to see them And it really kind of, it drives it home that whole like patient specimen, you know, difference. Like I feel like in MLS sometimes, I mean, I feel like in the MLS program at UMass Dartmouth, they really instilled like, you know, there's a patient behind that sample, like whether it be urine or CSF, like everything should be treated like gold because there's somebody waiting for that test result but for embryology like you see it like you see this person like you're watching them get an egg retrieval done like you see the pain and the trials and all the you know the bad stuff that's happening to them so it's kind of drives it home even more like these are worth so much like you need to be like <laughs> really careful and and then you know hearing them talk about it and everything it's so fun to give people good news i like, get so excited
2: <laughs> that is a welcome change of pace in healthcare
1: yeah, yeah. Especially since like nobody likes it when you walk in with the phlebotomy cart. Like nobody gets excited. <laughs> like everyone just gets mad. But you know, with when you walk in there with an embryo transfer catheter, somehow everybody gets a little more excited. <laughs> <laughs> and I always give them pictures too. Like sometimes they'll ask for pictures, but I usually like print out an extra one and I'm like, "Look. <laughs> it looks just like you." <laughs> like I try to get them like as hyped as possible. <laughs> because obviously it's not a comfortable procedure so I just kind of try to be a little goofy and be like you know look the embryo looks beautiful picture perfect so perfect I had to take another one like (laughs) you know it's just that's just kind of how you gotta do it
0: (laughs) but I, I think that it's gonna take a certain type of personality for a laboratorian to go into that because I mean part of the thing is we don't want to interact with patients or most of us don't want to interact with patients. So I think that's going to be a big thing for laboratorians. If this sounds interesting, you, you have to interact with the patients. Do you, I'm guessing you have to.
1: Yeah, there's, there's really no getting around it. So you have to like, kind of like people (laughs) if you're going to be doing it. Um, Yeah. So there's really no way around it. Um, just because of the patient phone calls, especially. I mean, we get patient phone calls all day long, even just for maybe not even necessarily giving them grading, but a lot of, we process the intrauterine insemination sperm samples. So they come in from cryobanks from all over the country. Um, and we actually process the sperm and thaw it for them. And then we give it to the patient. So that's another patient interaction, but they'll call and let us know like when the samples arriving or like other Other times people will be sending their embryos to us or sending their embryos to another clinic, also potentially across the country. Hmm. So you kind of, there's like a wide range of reasons why you would be talking to a patient. It's not even just like what you're actually doing. It could be like a side job. That's another thing with embryology, you kind of end up with like side jobs here and there. So like my, I'm like the calibration queen. I do all of the calibration, all of the QC sheets, making sure everything's up to date, um, making sure the pipettes are actually expelling the proper amount of liquid cuz we're making dishes so another thing we just the list just keeps going because we make dishes every single day um because every every sort of um, media that we use has to be equilibrated so we have them at a pH of 7 between 7.2 to 7.4 um and that means that the CO2 level has to be higher um so we usually keep it at I believe it's 7 and we have to equilibrate all of that media because they're in room air until we put them in the incubator so that's another thing that we have to do and keep them warm because eggs and sperm don't really like to be cold so (laughs) kind of have to make sure that's done the day before all the procedures
2: I got a little bit worried when you said side job I kind of just pictured Sarah with like a centrifuge in her trunk and (laughs) like what no, I definitely do? don't
1: bring it anywhere. No, just like little <laughs> little projects here and there. So, like I do QC, but other people do like some of the ordering for the technology stuff, and uh, we also have national databases that we use. So we have one person that primarily enters into the national database. It basically just like kind of keeps us in line to make sure we're doing everything we're supposed to. We're not transferring like eight embryos, you know the you know the important things. <laughs> And then there's people that update our own databases and track our own FERT results and our own like transfer and pregnancy rates and all that good stuff. That makes All sense. the stats,
0: <laughs> fun statistics. So Sarah, can you share with us how working in the, the clinical lab that you did that year before, do you feel like that prepared you in any way for working in embryology? I definitely think it did
1: um, in terms of a lot of the skills, like we need to have really good pipetting skills, being able to make everything even. um, So that definitely helped a lot and a lot of the microscopy skills as well. So we have to, I mean, I'm, my face is in a microscope pretty much all day and being able to identify all of these different structures is really important for grading purposes because you don't, you wouldn't want to look at an embryo and not really know what you're looking at you might not freeze something that you should have or freeze something that you probably shouldn't. So kind of situations like that, I definitely think were huge. Um, And it also, like I was working in the blood bank. So we did typically get phone calls from doctors who were asking about different patients. So it kind of prepared me for doctor interactions um, at my new job, because We're, you know, we're speaking with the doctor during the retrieval process. We're speaking with the doctor during the transfer process. We're all working as one whole cohesive team. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very important to kind of know how to interact and be like, you know, looking at certain situations, being like, okay, this is what the doctor like actually wants to hear about. So like, you know, kind of put all the gibberish away and just say what's going on, like kind of being able to interact with them in a um, constructive way. We also talk to them when things are going wrong. Like, unfortunately, sometimes the genetic material just isn't doing what we want it to. So, you know, we need to kind of be able to let them know this is what's happening. They might ask us why. So we need to be prepared. Like, why is it happening? Not just, I don't know, (laughs) the cells didn't read the textbook. (laughs) Um, And that (laughs) cannot be the answer. So kind of those, I feel like those were really like the major points, but Definitely the pipetting is huge because we're constantly pipetting and making dishes and making sure everything is sterile technique, things like that, not mixing samples, not putting, checking patient identification, things
0: like that. And do you need an advanced degree to work in an embryology lab? So you do not. um, I kind of decided to do my
1: master's because you do need the master's degree to become a supervisor or something like that. But To be an actual embryologist, it's mostly on the job training. Um, One thing that I would recommend, if possible, is they are all these little like clinics are starting to pop up that will actually, instead of you going to school, it's like a school, but it trains you on every procedure. So they actually have like, they have one in North Carolina, I believe. Um, And I know they have one in California too, which is a really, really great one where they'll teach you every procedure that you would ever need to know in embryology. And it is a paid, like you have to pay for it. And it's a whole course and you go down there for however long. I'm not quite sure all the details, but that would be very beneficial because you're going into an embryology lab already knowing all of the procedures that I just talked about that took me two years to learn on the job because they have genetic material or embryos or usually we use mouse embryos when we're practicing. Um, So they have all of that at their disposal instead of, you know, you having to wait or wait till somebody's free enough to train you because with all those procedures we need bodies to do it. Hmm. So we may not necessarily have somebody that can train you like that day, but when you have that class where you're in it and they have to teach you, (laughs) they have no nothing else pressing that's going on, it is really beneficial for people.
2: Is that like a certificate program?
1: Kind yeah, of yeah, exactly. But like for my master's, it's all background. Like we had two weeks, one last year and one the year before, where we do like a week of labs where they kind of just give us exposure to different things. But with this, it would be like legitimate, like you're basically getting signed off on said procedure.
0: So, so those programs are less theory, more practice?
1: Exactly. Yep. And the master's is basically all theory and background.
0: <laughs> Which it works for your case because you're getting the hands-on at your job.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it works for me. Although I will be doing a training in New Jersey next month for embryo biopsy. because It's a little bit easier. Like they have all of the material for me to train with. So they're actually, they're going to send me down there to do that. So that's kind of exciting. <laughs> but that's kind of the type of course that, is really beneficial to somebody that is interested in being an embryologist because that kind of gives you a leg up because, you know, you're not going to take the two years like I did to be fully trained. You come in here kind of knowing what you're doing. Hmm. It's cool. It's a cool, like, concept, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. There are other programs out there like that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: For other, not for embryology, but for other professions. But, yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting idea.
1: Yeah, it's definitely... Like trained embryologists are few and far between. It's really hard to find one. So to have you come right out of school, do that sort of program, and you can just come right in. It's like kind of a miracle.
2: <laughs> so so spe- speaking on that uh, on that line here, I want to follow. Your co-workers that you work with, are they like, what kind of backgrounds do they have? Are they like bio degrees or chemistry? Like
1: So my, um, one of the bosses that I've had, he was biochemistry. Um, but there is one person that's biology, a couple of MLS actually. Um, and then zoology actually, um, which is how IVF actually started, which is interesting. A lot of like the older generation embryologists came from zoology because people were using it to breed like cattle and things like that. That's why they were using IVF in the first place. And they were like, wait, maybe we can do this for people.
2: <laughs> that's crazy. Huh? That's cool.
1: Yeah. We actually when I went to the conference in um, Arizona that I had spoken about earlier, they actually had a whole lesson on weird like animal reproductive systems. It was a very odd class. I've never been so weirded out in my life, but it just kind of they were talking about all these things and almost all the room knew everything ahead of time. And I'm just looking at it like I was uh not given this information, but everybody else was like talking about it and like they've opened the floor to other weird things. And so many people had a lot of things to say because they all came from zoology originally.
2: That's interesting to know.
1: Yeah, it is a little weird.
0: Wow. All right. And then um, I imagine this sort of job is not a 24-7 facility.
1: No, it's not. We actually only have first shift So at four o'clock it's over, (laughs) but the only thing that, so it's kind of not 24 seven, if that makes sense. So there's always somebody that has to be, have their phone on alarm because we have alarms that are hooked up to all of the incubators and all of the storage containers, because if anything were to go wrong with the liquid nitrogen, or if the, um, if the incubator started becoming temperamental, we would need somebody to come in and see what's going on. If it was an incubator, then we would have them actually remove anything that's in that incubator and put them into a working one. Um, And for the like doers, which are the tanks that we use for liquid nitrogen storage and all of the embryos, we would have to make sure that it hasn't exploded. And then once we deal with the explosion, we um, have to move it to an empty tank and kind of fix all that. So it isn't 24 seven, as far as somebody actually being on site, but there is somebody at all times kind of monitoring and making sure that, um, there's no chaos at the lab.
2: So in the event, so that would be like, you're on call, right? Is that fair? Exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: So in the event of a embryology catastrophe, <laughs> you could call someone that's locally that's there, or would you get in your car and go in? Like
1: you would get in your car and go in. <laughs> Yeah. So the alarms are actually like hooked up to your phone. So whoever's on call, it gets like your box gets like checked off and then you have to leave your phone on all the time. And um, so if it at 1130 at night, three o'clock in the morning, if something goes off, you get your coat on and you go in and make sure that the embryos are okay.
2: (laughs) That's dedication,
0: Sarah.
1: It is. I haven't had the pleasure to do that yet, um, but (laughs) I'm sure someday that will be me. (laughs)
0: how often are you on call
1: so because I haven't reached the ICSI part yet Mm -hmm. um I can't I haven't been first call on the weekend so we have a first call second call system where the first call person is the one that primarily comes in over the weekend and then the second call just kind of comes in if they're needed if there's multiple procedures a lot going on um so I haven't yet been on call but usually for most people they're like every other weekend to every three weekends um Mm -hmm it's a pretty good system and I would say we're pretty fair about not making somebody be on call for like ever and ever, which is really nice. Um, But you do get paid extra, so I don't think anybody really cares that much. I've only seen, like, one person get called in at 1130 at night, and it was a false alarm. So they got to just, like, go home anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So no one really complains about it too much, until they're here at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they're, like, mad.
2: (laughs) Then you're swearing under your breath. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Then you're like, ah, these embryos. (laughs) So it seems like then you'd have a, a pretty good work-life balance with this job.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, definitely. So different clinics kind of run differently, of course, like um, my clinic tends to be a lot smaller. So we don't really work like a factory, if that makes sense. There are a lot of clinics that are much bigger than ours. We kind of cap off like the most retrievals I've ever seen done in a day is like seven. Right. So like that doesn't seem like a lot. Um, but we only have about six embryologists on staff at all times. However, like a place like Boston IVF, for instance, they're doing like, I would say, like between 20 to like 25 retrievals in a day. So they're more like they need people to be doing those ICSI's later at night. So for them, it might be a little bit different. They might have more of like a second shift sort of um, Mm -hmm. personnel that come in later. Um, And then some places are also salary too. So like we are hourly, which is really nice. We get overtime if we do work the overtime. And, you know, if we have to stay late, we do, like, we all, we all love our job. <laughs> as much as we might complain sometimes, we all love what we do. And so we'll always stay after if somebody needs it or whatever. Um, but sometimes if you are a salary, you're not really getting that benefit. Um, so there have been, like, labs in the past that I've heard about, never experienced, so I don't really know, but they will take advantage of their workers and kind of, like, hold them there till the absolute last possible second, <laughs> so kind of that is more of like the work-life balancing is really nice where I'm at I just can't speak to like other laboratories they just don't know how they kind of run their show but we are really really good about like if you need a day off take a day off like if you've worked the weekend so we don't actually count our weekends in our hours so like if we work that weekend it's basically extra time if we want it or we can take a day off and we're really lenient with each other like we have a good system going so it is really nice
2: Sounds like you have a nice team, like a good.
1: We do. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're fun. (laughs) We like to like, we goof around within reason. Like obviously once the work is done and we're just kind of doing paperwork and going cross-eyed, looking at (laughs) all the charts, like we goof around a little bit. Um, We all really like each other. We have a good dynamic and that's huge. Like, I mean, we're six of us. We probably spend more time with each other than everybody else in our families and in our lives. So that the fact that we get along so well is awesome. Like it, it's huge. And it's all the same people. Like, I don't know, when I was working at the main lab um, in the hospital, there was always a different rotation of people. It was never you were never really quite working with the same people. But I mean, these people have become my family. I'm with them all day long. and never changes. Like we know everything about each other. So <laughs> it becomes really nice.
2: It makes me happy. I'm glad you're in a a good spot with a good team because it, it work can be really difficult with the wrong mix of people. And...
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So we're really we're fortunate that everyone gets along and we're all nice to each other.
0: <laughs> I think that's good too for especially where you all have to interact with patients because then the patients are going to see and feel that kind of good vibe and not get hostility between coworkers. So I think that's also exactly.
1: A yeah, they can probably hear us laughing. Like if somebody's in the offices or whatever, and like somebody else is doing a transfer, like they'll probably hear a, a giggle from someone <laughs> or like, you know, we're yelling at each other to turn down the radio during a transfer. That's always a good one. Hey, hey. <laughs> like so that's kind of fun. Um, But yeah, we, it is nice. Like, I feel like, you know, the patients definitely feed off of our energy too, which is why whenever I do go into a transfer, I'm always like, you know, yippee, like everybody's happy, let's do this, woohoo. Like no matter what doctor I'm with, because of course like some doctors are a little bit more mellow or like they're not as thrilled because they've been doing this for their entire life. And this transfer like is not that exciting, but I try to get like hyped up because once you see somebody hyped up then like everybody gets hyped up and it's like, all right, we're having a party, like let's go, like it's going to be a fun time. (laughs)
2: It's infectious, right? Like,
1: it is, and it's like, and everybody's happy. So <laughs> we just try to keep everybody happy.
0: <laughs> so Sarah, if somebody wants to go into embryology, what is one piece of advice that you would give them? Hmm. One piece of advice
1: would be to not get down on yourself because it is a lot of procedures. It's a lot of things that you're learning and kind of like all at the same time. So I would definitely say to like, have confidence in yourself and, you know, let yourself, give yourself the time to actually learn everything that's going on and don't beat yourself up if something isn't coming, you know, 100% easy to you because it takes time. And like, you know, for me, for instance, like I'm watching most of the coworkers that I have, almost half of them have been there for almost 30 years. So they are way better than I am at literally everything. So, you know, you see them kind of speed through and you're like, whoa, it took me like 20 minutes to do like two, (laughs) you know? So you kind of have to remember and give yourself realistic expectations of like, okay, like I know I'm not going to do it as fast as them, but like, that doesn't mean that I suck. (laughs) So definitely giving yourself the patience and the confidence that like, you got this, everything's going to be fine. Even if it takes you a little extra to learn something.
2: It sounds like you'd recommend this too as a, as a job, right? Like I, I definitely
1: I, would. I mean, I love my job. So like that kind of helps, like, you know, anytime anybody's like, what do you do? I'm always jumping on the opportunity to tell anybody about it because like nobody knows about us anyway. So it's like, you know, like who knows an embryologist? Literally nobody. So, you know, I... So I do find it really interesting. And like, if anybody is ever like, you know, I'm really interested in doing something in the lab and I'm like, well, I've got something great that you can learn about.
2: Good for so. you. Be a prophet, honestly. Go out there and 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 let everyone know because uh, I mean, geez, I, I don't know. how I went many years of my career without even thinking about this discipline. And now <laughs> I'm enamored by it. It's, a, it's fascinating. Uh,
1: it's really and, awesome. And, and I'm, it's
2: important work too. I mean, you really are touching lives and families in a way.
1: Exactly. It's very rewarding, especially when, you know, my favorite thing when I talk to patients on the phone is when, you know, we're giving them the day three results. And sometimes like embryos that didn't show signs of fertilization start dividing. And it's like, look at like you had two more join the party. Like, this is so exciting. Like, you've got a whole football team going on here. <laughs> and, like, it just gets so exciting to like speak with them. But then you get like the behind the scenes, because I feel like the lab is so behind the scenes, like nobody knows about the lab at all. Like, I feel like some people, even before I was in MLS, like just a person, (laughs) not lab person, um, you don't really know where your blood sample goes. And you kind of like, you kind of give the credit to the doctor. Like, yeah, they must be going in the back and running it and doing all the thing, but they do not do that. So you know, it's kind of interesting to like see that behind the scenes and then tell other people about the behind the scenes. Like, no, your doctor's not doing that. I'm doing that. It's me.
2: (laughs) We're looking at you house, the TV show, (laughs) your doctors and your centrifuges. And
1: yeah, yeah. no, that centrifuge is mine. (laughs) I (laughs) calibrated that centrifuge.
0: It's mine. (laughs) You're awesome. Well, Sarah, we want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing with us your profession that you are very obviously passionate about, which makes Dave and I both very excited to see you succeeding.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to talk about embryos. It's always a fun time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it really was exciting. But uh, yeah, so to our audience, if you found this interesting, um, send us a, a shout through email or on social media um if you'd like to learn more about this process let us know um yeah and any suggestions or comments we're always open to to kind of hearing about those things but Sarah again uh, Melissa said it but I'm going to reiterate thanks for your time and uh it's really good to connect with you again and, and see how things are going
1: of course thank you so much for having me hopefully there'll be some more embryologists coming out of the MLS program (laughs) send them my way sarah's embryology boot camp
2: (laughs) (laughs) will do sarah
0: and everybody else thanks for listening
2: thanks for your time